One hot day in the middle of summer, a lion and a boar, B-O-A-R, went to a spring to drink. Step aside, said the boar. I was here first. I showed you where to find the spring, the lion replied angrily. I will be the first to drink. And quickly the disagreement escalated from a verbal confrontation and they began to attack each other with great ferocity. A few minutes later, they stopped to catch their breath and their eyes were drawn up to a rock on which sat several vultures waiting for one of them to be killed. The sight sobered them quickly so that they decided to make peace, saying, if we continue to fight, the only winners will be the vultures. Have you ever found yourself in a similar situation? Perhaps you've been arguing with your partner or a coworker or another church member, and you realize that if you keep fighting, no one wins. This section in this letter to the, the church at Ephesus guides our thoughts to power and battles and even winning. This story of the lion and the boar is adapted from a fable by Aesop, but our scripture passage delves deeper than just into morality. It teaches us how to be prepared to live on a daily basis. The writer of this letter, which was written a few decades after Jesus was killed, is concerned with unifying the followers of Jesus. Some are Jewish, like Jesus was. Others are not. They were the group called Gentiles, which means anything besides a Jew. Having come from the Jews, the gospel was very dear to them, and so to include others was some, some were uncertain about how that could actually work. If they maintain their personal positions, if they choose to avoid working and worshiping together, the writer to the, of this letter says they will remain self-centered and spiritually poor. That's not a direct quote from the Bible. But if they see the benefit of working on the same team, they will be like a well-armed soldier, prepared to do battle with any obstacle to God's grace and glory. The writer of Ephesians recognizes and reminds us that there is an ongoing struggle between good and evil. We see it in many of the most famous movies. In The Wizard of Oz, it's Dorothy and her friends versus the Wicked Witch. In The Sound of Music, it's the Austrian Patriots versus the Nazis. Star Wars names evil and good. Remember? The Dark Side? Or may what be with you? The force be with you. That's the good. And then the animated Cars movie even pits Lightning McQueen against egomaniac Chick Hicks. 
You know, these movies strike a chord because the struggle between the force and the dark side is not played out just on the movie screens and just on DVDs, but within us and around us and between us and according to Ephesians on this huge cosmic scale. Our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The worldview at that time was that there was the place of the dead, there was the earth, and there were the heavens. And so we have this image then of this battle being played out up in the heavens, the heavenly places. But what's happening up there affects what goes on down here. And so bad things happen and good things happen. And the recognition here is that those forces are involved with us. They're active all around us. And so when bad things happen, or even when good things happen, we may come up with the question, why? Why? Why do bad things happen to people? Why do people get cancer? Why do children get cancer? Why do we have to go to war? Why do people cause each other to suffer? Why do we have battles within us, temptations between doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing? And it seems that we have this expectation that Life is supposed to be smooth and easy and uncomplicated and without conflict. And so when there are problems, something must be wrong. Maybe even there's something wrong with us. And we may think all of these bad things are happening to me, so God must be mad about something that I did or didn't do, and God is punishing me. Walter Wink might say, don't blame God. In his book, Engaging the Powers, Wink wrote, the early Christians expected to be assaulted by the powers. Never once do they seem puzzled by this fact. It would have been unthinkable for them to ask, why do bad things happen to good people? The powers, which he capitalizes, the powers that had crucified Jesus had an equal stake in crushing this new movement. You, I expect, will remember when Captain Sullenberger landed the U.S. Airways jet in the Hudson River. Soon after that, the Associated Press wrote, he got his pilot's license at 14, flew fighter jets in the Air Force, investigated air disasters, mastered glider flying, and even studied the psychology of how cockpit crews behave in a crisis. Sullenberger was well prepared, even for a surprise situation, and that is what our scripture is encouraging us to do, to maintain or to come back to this unity. We need to be prepared. Only when we are prepared can we stand firm. Sometimes evil pounces into our lives with a car crash or a sudden illness or an accidental fall. Other times it enters slowly, 
like a drip from a faucet filling up a bucket. Whichever way it comes, we fight it with the whole armor of God. Each piece of the armor is helpful, but only with the whole armor do we become invulnerable to attack. And so, as Paula reminded the children, let me remind us what we're wearing when we take up the whole armor of God so that we may be able to withstand evil on that, every, that evil day. The first thing we do is to stand up. He says, stand, therefore. You don't have to do that now. But stand and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness to cover those vital organs. Cover your feet with shoes that will make you ready to go anywhere and proclaim the gospel of peace. Take the shield of faith. Now, the Roman shield was huge. It covered the whole body all the way down to the ground. Take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. For your head, take the helmet of salvation. And the only attack item here is the sword. That's the only offensive piece of armor. The others are defensive. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so when fully dressed, we're wearing truth, righteousness, or I also like the the translation integrity. Whatever will make us ready to proclaim the gospel of feet on our feet. feet. (laughs) Let me try that again. Whatever will make us ready to proclaim the gospel of peace on our feet. Faith, salvation, and the word of God. We are prepared to engage the evil forces that attempt to tear people apart. Before being married at Calvary, many brides spend time in the women's robing room in the rehearsal room, with mothers and friends buttoning their dresses or perfecting their veils, preparing the bride for her presentation to the, to the congregation, but most importantly, of course, her groom. The men help prepare each other, but they do it differently. The groomsmen brush off lint from each other's tuxes, or the best man straightens the groom's tie. I think it's a good image for us of the way that we also can help each other take care of the spiritual armor. That's one reason we have church. We help each other improve our spiritual clothing. As we talk and worship and learn together, we find encouragement from other people who also are trying to do the right things in life. From people who are interested in growing in truth, integrity, peace, faith, and our understandings of salvation and the word of God. Haute couture, if you're really French, is a French term for elegant sewing or dressmaking. That's where it originated. 
The protected name can be used only by certain companies who have a certain number of seamstresses and have certain lots of other things that you can find out on Wikipedia. But one thing it said was that haute, haute couture refers to clothing specifically tailored for a person's body measurements and even her stance. So I wonder, is our spiritual armor perfectly fitted for our bodies and for our stance too, is it? Jesus said to a crowd of listeners in Luke 12, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. If we believe that God cares for us at least as much as God cares for a little bird, we also can believe that God knows our spirits and offers us the spiritual protection that we need. So I think one way that we can make this passage practical is to choose a piece of armor to work on. Fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Or put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Remember, the whole letter is about unity. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is haute couture for followers of Jesus. As you wear it well, remember the final admonition of the writer of this letter to the Ephesians. And that is to pray. Pray in the Spirit at all times. At all times? Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert. Watch. And always persevere in supplication, prayer, for all the saints. And pray for me, the writer says, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Because we can't explain the gospel. We can just give an example of what it is. We can give an example of what it looks like to fight the evil forces. And we can do that because we've seen knights in armor or we've seen pictures of a Roman soldier. And that's why we have this little cartoon in our bulletin today. It's, um, it's not exactly accurate, but it reminds us of these things that we can use, 
these gifts of God that we can use for the sake of unity and for the sake of expanding God's kingdom. Prayer is the greatest preparation for all the evil forces. It's as if the flaming arrows of those evil forces become boomerangs and destroy them instead of us. And so pray, pray, and pray some more in all things, at all times. And then you'll be completely prepared for the evil one. Let us pray together. Lord our God, you protect us in ways that we cannot even comprehend. Thank you for doing so. Thank you for being our Lord and God and guide and protector. Help us to have the faith, the peace, the righteousness, the truth, the salvation, and your word as Jesus Christ before us in all that we do this day, this week, and all of our lives. We pray in your holy name. Amen.